gentlemen, welcome aboard Delta Airlines Flight 2998, bound for Atlanta, Georgia, with continued service to Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. All carry on items should now. Assalamualaikum. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's been a minute since I've done reporting, which is totally not what I wanted because I thought doing like a blogcast instead of doing a podcast, I mean, instead of doing an actual blog, would be a lot easier for me. But once you kind of hear everything I've been through, maybe you'll understand why I have not been so active on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. Like I haven't been sharing a lot of stuff that I've been going through since I've been in Morocco. But anyway, I've been here for like four months already. I don't know, I got here in September and this is already January, four and a half, four or five months. I don't know, I'm not keeping track. Just living day to day, honestly, not really doing much to be honest. But um, I actually somehow have managed to be very busy. Um, and today I kind of wanted to talk about certain aspects of my experience in Morocco so far. But first I need to update everybody on what's been going on here and what I've actually been doing for the past four months. So, you know, when we first got to Morocco, we did a training, we being the whole uh, stage group. We're stage 101, we're the 101st group of Americans to serve in Peace Corps Morocco. There is, I don't know how many of us, over 100, it could be 200, I have no idea. Um, but there's a lot of us. So we all arrived together to Morocco in Casablanca from a JFK. We did a pre-departure training in Philadelphia. Uh, from there, we drove in charter buses to JFK New York, the airport, JFK New York, yes. And then we landed in Casablanca. From Casablanca, we drove to a beach town near Rabat. So Rabat is actually the nation's capital. It's the capital of Morocco. I probably spent more time in Rabat than a lot of other volunteers have so far in my in my um, in my stage and my group. Um, we're gonna talk about that later. But anyway, so we did our training there, and it was in like a small beach town. It really felt like a summer camp. Um, I think we were actually doing our orientation there in a facility for summer camps so it was really interesting you know like at least for me and other people I had this idea of going to Peace Corps and doing my own thing being very independent working on my own projects and suddenly I'm in sixth grade Girl Scout summer camp so that was interesting yeah that's that's all I'm gonna say about that that was a very boring time not much was going on in that week very boring orientation logistical stuff, meeting the Peace Corps staff, meeting the language and cultural facilitators, blah, 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 boring stuff like that. So, but it was after that when we broke off into small groups of about like five to seven people and we did our community-based training or CBT, also a very interesting time. And we went to different small towns and villages in the Fez Meknes region of Morocco, which is like central north, not central, it's like the center of northern Morocco. So we stayed in these towns for about two and a half months. My town where I did my community-based training was very small, hardly, I mean, definitely not over a thousand people, very small town. Um, 
I was in a group of five girls and we had our male language and cultural facilitator trapped. He was amazing. He was such a good sport because we were a lot, you know, a group of five, 20 something year old ladies, <laughs> kind of a hard time for a young single guy, but he was great. But we were there, blah, 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 two and a half months. You can clearly see how I feel about this time. I'm just glad that it was over with. It was very challenging. Just not having any free time, not having any control over your daily schedule. We worked with each other uh, six days a week from about, I want to say like 8.30 in the morning to like, six or seven in the afternoon doing language classes and yeah practicing and learning different ways that we can do programs and teach English at these community centers. So Peace Corps Morocco is the youth development country. Every country in Peace Corps has a specific focus whether it be strictly education in a broad sense, it could be strictly uh, teaching English, or it could be health, anything like that. But Peace Corps Morocco is specifically a youth development country. So we work at these centers that cater to youth and women called Dar Shababs, which translates to youth center, and Dar Talibs and Dar Talibas, which literally translates to student house or student housing for boys and girls that are segregated by gender. Um, for boys and girls who live in more rural areas who can't travel to school every day and to, to bigger cities. So we put on programs there for the students or just at the Dar Shabab, yeah, I think YMCA, we do programs um, at those centers as well. I would say the hardest thing about that period of CBT was when we were living with a host family. That's definitely the hardest part about it. And even our first month at our actual final sites, the hardest part about getting there is living with the host family, at least in my opinion. Um, my final site is also a very rural place. So I do experience culture shock, but I think a lot of people recognize me. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but it's just a little bit easier to integrate into the community when you're in a smaller place. But still, living with the host family can be very difficult. Um, in America, we are raised to be very independent and not even like raised. You know, everybody in Peace Corps is like 21 and up. So we are all mostly college educated adults, people who have already kind of started to do their own thing, whether that been in college and working, you know, everybody is a professional adult person in Peace Corps. So suddenly living back with a family who doesn't even understand what you're saying half the time, you don't have any control of when you eat what you eat, it's difficult to like say, hey, I want to go out and do this, especially if you're a woman, you know, people really want to look out for you. And it's just not the culture of women really going out and hanging out outside by themselves. I have not really seen women hanging out outside unless it's literally right outside their front porch. But um, so it's really hard not having control over your daily schedule. You're so busy doing language and teaching and then on top of that you're living in somebody else's house which is very uncomfortable you know for me I went to college when I was 17 so I moved out of my parents I, I mean moved out like I was living in the dorms 
whatever. I didn't like move out on my own, but I would, I stopped consecutively living with my parents when I was 17. So suddenly living with people's parents is very difficult for me. It was really hard um, having to wake up and being told when to eat breakfast, being told when to wake up, being told when to eat dinner and being, you know, having no control over what you eat. Like if you know me, you know, I am, I love food. I love good food. Not saying Moroccan food was bad, but after a certain amount of time, like eating similar things, things that are kind of outside of the range of your palate, even if it's something that you like, eating something every day is going to get tiring. So, but the food is, it's pretty good. It's nice now that I'm on my own and I can cook my own meals and have Moroccan food from time to time. It's nice. I don't know if this was like something that my parents used to say. I'm sure like my dad still listen like Eddie Murphy or something like that. But he would always be like, oh, like you guys, if you went to, to China, you would starve because all they have is Chinese food. Like whenever like I'm at home in my house, it's always like, oh, we want to eat like Mexican food today. Tomorrow we want to eat Chinese. And then somebody's like, no, we ate Chinese like three days ago. I don't want to eat Chinese food. You know, it's just funny. Like in America, we take the diversity of food that we have for granted. Not that there isn't diversity of food in Morocco, but still there is a certain palate range that they kind of don't fall outside of. And in America, because it is so diverse, our palates, not to say that like Moroccans don't have diverse palates, but I think we're just used to eating a lot of different things. But here, you're eating Moroccan food every day. So it's kind of challenging. <laughs> but, you know, it really, in hindsight, it really wasn't a bad time. I really actually do miss that small town, that little village. Everybody was so nice and it was so friendly. All of the children knew who we were. Literally, whenever we would walk outside, at least three to five kids would always run up to us and tell us, oh, hi, Salam, give us little kisses and stuff. It was precious, but I don't really have that here anymore. I'm in a slightly bigger village, but we say shriya bishriya, slowly, little by little. I'm getting to know everybody here. But anyway, that's, <laughs> I'm getting kind of carried away talking about that. So now I'm in my final site, which is a place that I living in. I'm going to be living here for the next two years, inshallah, we say God willing. Um, I'm going to be here for the next two years working with mostly women and girls, it seems. Um, you guys know I have my one of, one of my degrees in women and gender studies, so I'm really interested in working with the young girls and the young women here. So that's what I'm going to be doing for the next two years, inshallah, inshallah. Um, I am in central Morocco. I can't say exactly where because it's against Peace Corps policy and also because I have common sense. I'm not going to put my small village on the internet and let everybody know where I am. This village is slightly bigger than my community-based training village. Not slightly, it's actually significantly bigger than my uh, village that I lived in for community-based training. I really like it so far. I'm very close to a major city, which is nice. Anything I can't get here in my town, it's literally like 15 minutes away. Um, yeah, there's a McDonald's 15 minutes away from me. So I don't know what people think about Peace Corps. Like people think, you know, that you're out living in the middle of the field, <laughs> like out in the bush or something like that, which some people in Peace Corps do, people in other countries, people in other parts of Morocco definitely are in more rural places than I'm in. I'm in more of a suburban area, but 
I am 15 to 20 minutes from a Burger King and McDonald's, which is very nice. Alhamdulillah, we say Alhamdulillah, thank God. Um, yeah, so it's very nice, but I was gonna talk a little bit more about why I was in Rabat and why things for me in the beginning have been very slow, getting to know people in my community and um, getting adjusted to where I am. And that was because I was hospitalized. I don't know if I could say I was hospitalized. I was in the hospital at one point. So if you guys know me, know me, you know, um, when I started college, after I think the end of my first year of college, I was actually hospitalized. I had to have an emergency blood transfusion. So, I mean, I still to this day really don't know what happened. All of the blood in my body just decided to dip. I don't know where it went. I don't know if I was having internal bleeding. They did a lot of tests. They tested me for sickle cell anemia. They tested me for some other diseases, cancer, thalassemia. Um, yeah, and just a lot of other things, but never really found anything that was wrong with me. Uh, the only thing that there was was that I had recently had my wisdom teeth taken out. I don't think I was bleeding too much when I came out and had my wisdom teeth taken out, but I did go under, so I don't really know. But anyway, the point is I had to have an emergency blood transfusion about six years ago. So when I got to Morocco... <laughs> After being totally stable for about six years, I suddenly am losing a lot of blood. And mind you, like I went to Spain and I was there for a year and I had no problems. It was something I was worried about too when I went to Spain, um, not being in the States, not being with my primary physician and things like that. But nothing happened there. So, you know, when I went through the whole medical process for Peace Corps, which is very stressful, you know, my doctor okayed me. I hadn't been anemic in a very long time. And um, anemia was really the only thing that they found when I went to the doctor the first time. They said my iron intake was low. So now I get to my final site in Peace Corps, Morocco, after I've been in the country for about three months. Um, and I am losing blood. I don't want to tell you how I found out I was losing blood. I'm just going to say that there is a saying that you're not a Peace Corps volunteer until you've had diarrhea. So, yeah, I started losing a lot of blood. At first, I didn't really think anything of it. I thought I, you know, was just, like, sick from the food or something like that. And I was losing a lot of blood, so I was totally out of it. I really had no idea what was actually going on because I was so out of it. I didn't have any blood in my body. The doctor was telling me, you probably were not in your right mind. You should have called us a lot sooner, but I didn't. Um, but thank God I eventually did, alhamdulillah. So they sent a driver to come get me, and I went to the capital. I went to Rabat for about a week. I was so sick, they were afraid to leave me by myself um, because the night that I had got to Rabat, I got there in the evening after they came to get me, and um, we immediately tested my blood, sent my blood to a lab, and my hemoglobin was really low, not to the point where I needed a blood transfusion, but it was clear that I was having some kind of internal bleeding. So they ended up testing me for some blood clotting disorders, not exactly hemophilia, but something like that. They tested me for those things and they were negative. So they decided that they wanted to give me a colonoscopy. And it was so funny, the doctor here is great, he's hilarious. He was like joking with me like, you're like 24 and you've had a colonoscopy and you've had a blood transfusion 
and he was just really surprised that I wasn't like really tripping because obviously I had a blood transfusion before and I came out of that fine so I kind of wasn't tripping and he was like you should be more afraid like this is not normal but anyway so they wanted to give me a colonoscopy thank god <laughs> I did not have to have a colonoscopy and they ended up giving me a endoscopy so I went to the hospital got put under it had an endoscopy so I've been in Morocco for <laughs> for about three months and I wound up in the hospital having an endoscopy which is just insane but it turned out that my stomach was bleeding so um, here in Morocco and a lot of countries outside of the states you have to go to a pharmacy to get medication and they don't have a lot of the antihistamines that we have like in the states so there's no NyQuil there's no like liquid Benadryl you can't just go to the grocery store and buy those things so Peace Corps is our healthcare provider and at this time it was winter the beginning of winter and a lot of people were getting sick there was like a whole bug going around out of all of the Peace Corps volunteers so for medicine instead of the antihistamines for our throat they um, gave us cough drops, uh, they gave us Benadryl, and they gave us decongestants and ibuprofen. Basically, everything that one antihistamine like NyQuil or DayQuil would do and a whole bunch of separate things. So I was sick, I had a sore throat, my head was hurting, I was taking ibuprofen. And uh, the doctor basically said I can never take ibuprofen again in my life because if you know, um, things like ibuprofen, uh, aspirin, these kinds of things can cause your stomach to bleed if you take too many of them. And I was taking it every day. I wasn't even taking that much, but I was taking a lot of them. So the uh, doctor said that when I had my wisdom teeth, after they gave me ibuprofen, like 800 milligrams, that was probably, probably causing my stomach to bleed. And taking the ibuprofen for my cold is probably what was also causing my stomach to bleed. So I'm not, I'm not taking ibuprofen ever again, but now I'm in my final sight. I'm all healed up. I'm just taking iron supplements. They tested me again, and everything looks like it's good for now, hopefully forever. I'm not going to lie. It was a really scary experience, but still, it was also nice to kind of, like I said, living with the host family. When we first get to our final sites, we also live with the host family, and it's a really tough experience. Again, not being able to control your daily schedule, not being able to control what you eat, you know, being a woman, not really having spaces to go hang out outside, things like that. So it was uh, pretty difficult, <laughs> and I had to have that little break for about a week and then some change because uh, I was going to the hospital back and forth at least every weekend for a month. So there's always a silver lining. But yeah, my current situation right now is that it's very cold. I know people are like, ooh, Morocco, Africa, desert, heat. No, I'm literally living in the plains of the Atlas Mountains and it is cold. You know, where I live in SoCal, it's kind of the same. I keep telling people that it looks like my hometown in SoCal, but they don't believe me. You know, like we have the mountains and like the plains and the valleys and everything like that. So it really does look like SoCal to me. Like if you know where I'm from, like it really looks like Riverside or Fontana or something like that. But um, I just wanted to talk about today, instead of just like, you know, telling you guys what's happened to me, just like a little bit more about my personal experiences. And I think 
so far, the thing that I've been thinking about the most is how helpless I am here. Um, I talked a little bit about it, like when you're living with the host family and you can't even communicate with people, you just feel really helpless, especially now that I'm in this town completely on my own. It is something that you take for granted, being able to just communicate with people. Um, helplessness has definitely been a major uh, part of my experience here. And it sounds a lot sadder, I guess, than it really is because, you know, back home in the States, we're raised to be independent. Like I said, you know, we go to college at 17, 18. At 18, you're like, oh, you're an adult. Your parents are going to kick you out. You know, like that's kind of the stereotypical cultural narrative, right? But that is definitely a huge part of our culture, even though a lot of people <laughs> cannot afford to move out at 17 and 18, at least not on their own in any capacity. I think something as Americans, when we come to Peace Corps, which is actually really dangerous that we think that we're coming to do an individual job, like we're coming here to do something good for other people, which I think we all have as our intention, but it's not something that we necessarily do on our own. It, we don't do it on our own at all, not even necessarily. It's not something we do on our own. We need so much help, help from the Peace Corps staff, help from Moroccans, help from you know each other as Peace Corps volunteers. We don't do anything by ourselves, really. There's just no way, just that barrier of communication is so huge, it makes it impossible for us to be independent here. And if you know me, if you really know me, you know that I am like, um, I like to call it self-sufficient. <laughs> I am a self-sufficient person. Other people might call it a social, I don't know, uh, introverted maybe. I am a very, like, um, I'm a very self-focused person. I like to be on my own. I like to do things on my own. I like to, you know, um, internalize things maybe a little bit too much and I just like to like think and have my own thoughts I think in my last podcast I was talking about that how um when I was converting to Islam I really did not want to have any external influence from other people and that's just how I am as a person but here in that kind of mentality in that just kind of way of being social is not or that like social boundary is not something that exists here and it is a struggle for me because um, I understand how that can be interpreted here versus in America you know someone who's doing their own thing someone who's very independent it is seen as a positive thing we're not as collectivist of a culture we're very like independent um, and very individualistic in the United States, you know, everybody knows that, but here it's not like that. And it's difficult because I think it does leave a bad impression on a lot of people, but you know, like I said, shwia, shwia, I'm still getting to know people after being sick. I had a huge hurdle to get over with recovering and things like that. You know, when people are still getting to know me and I'm still getting to know a lot about myself, you know, I'm still young. <laughs> I'm still young and living in a different culture definitely challenges you to figure out who you are and reflect on some things that are not the best about you, which I'm definitely doing right now. So for me, it does feel helpless. Um, and it's kind of ironic, like feeling helpless because you can't, 
get rid of help, you know, like, isn't that crazy? Like, you feel helpless because you're getting too much help. It doesn't really make sense, you know, but that's how it is. I always go back to my host family because they are literally the most helpful people on earth. They are so helpful. They, um, when I was sick, actually, it was them who contacted the doctor and told them to come get me because they realized how sick I was even before I did. But anyway, the other day, it was something so simple. So I have this tote bag that I use literally for everything. I take it to the weekly market. I load it up with vegetables. I take it when I do my tutoring. I put my books and I take it when I go teaching. I put my notebooks and all of my supplies in there. When I go out of town, I put clothes in it. I take it with me everywhere. You know, it's just that bag. So um, it broke in like two different places and the zipper flew off. And I was rocking with this bag, broken like how I was for like two weeks because my Peace Corps stipend just did not allow me to buy another bag like that. And I don't have the language to go to a tailor. I don't know where to find a tailor and just things like that. Like I just can't do by myself. So I'm helplessly rocking with this bag until the wheels fall off so on friday every friday i go to my host family's house because it's the holy day for muslims it's like sunday for muslims they everybody goes to the communal prayer all of the men go to the communal communal prayer and um families all eat couscous like a huge thing of couscous together so i went to my host family's house and they saw how messed up my bag was and my host dad just like whipped out a needle and some string and sewed the sew. He sewed the holes back together and he sewed the zipper back on. And it's just like, I don't know, it's something that's so simple, but something I totally could not have done on my own here. And I'm just thinking, you know, in America, I could have just gone to a dry cleaners or to a seamstress and been like, here, hey lady, sew this up. Thanks very much. 2290. Great, thanks. Like you know, it would have been just something so easy. Or like going to the grocery store, you know, with my host mom, I go with her every week to the weekly market because I can't, I don't have the language to shop by myself, you know, but back in the States, it's like you go to Safeway, you go to Vons, you go to Albertsons, you go in and you go out. They do have those kind of stores here and I live next to a big city so I do frequently go to those kinds of stores but the prices are just not comparable at all like literally a few bucks versus like 10 or 20 for the same thing in the supermarkets so I go with her every week because I don't have the capacity to go by myself like I'm just so helpless but there is always somebody there that's that's there and ready and willing to help you literally to do anything and based on, you know, my experience and talking to other volunteers, I think that, like I said, we feel so much more helpless because we're getting so much help. I think a lot of the times when you feel helpless, it's because you're literally on your own and nobody's helping you do anything and you can't, you literally are helpless. You have no help. But here it's like you have so much help. You feel so dependent on others. You feel helpless. <laughs> you feel more helpless. Um, I think for us as Americans, or, you know, just for me as a person, but I think in general for Americans, because we generally are people who try to be as self-sufficient as possible, um, and is as independent as possible, I think these negative feelings 
at least for me, they're teaching me that I need to draw back. There's nothing that exists that doesn't have a purpose, right? And our emotions have the purpose of telling us where we stand socially. So when you feel guilty, it's because you feel you've done something wrong and you need to correct yourself. When you feel sad, you feel somebody or something has done something to you that you don't like, that you don't agree with. So I think these feelings of helplessness have been have been showing me that I am not as self-sufficient and I'm not as independent and I'm not as... Um, I don't know, I am much more in need of other people than I actually think I am. And not even just in the context of being in Morocco. I think that's something I definitely need to take back to the States with me as well. And it's not to say that because people in Morocco live a certain way that they are better than Americans and that the American need to be independent is right or wrong or better or worse. It's just different and I think it's something that can be learned from either way. And I think Moroccans will eventually learn, inshallah, God willing, Moroccans will learn a lot um, from me being a more independent single woman living in Morocco. At least I hope that's what will happen. But that has been the drama in my life for the past few months. Um, honestly, I'm feeling a lot better about my ability to be self-sufficient. I recently moved into my own apartment. I got all of the necessities taken care of. I got all of my appliances. I've been able to actually cook for myself, so that feels really nice. But still learning that I need to actually go out and... Uh, and even though I can take care of myself, I still need to go out and have those couscous Fridays with my host family and my neighbors and let other people still do things and help me with things. And hopefully I can do something for them in return as a volunteer. So I think I'm just going to leave it there for now. There are so many more things that I want to talk to you guys about what it's like to be a woman in Morocco, what it's like to be a black woman in Morocco, in particular, what it's like to be a passing woman in Morocco. Because let me tell you, that has made me feel so helpless. But hopefully another time, inshallah. Yep, yep, that's it. That's all I've got, except um, if you see an old lady trying to cross the street, don't even bother trying to help her. Honestly, she's probably got it. Leave her alone. Don't make her feel helpless. Let her do her own thing. But anyway, thanks for your time, guys. Talk to you next time.